Well, we are at our last Sunday in our stewardship series discussing the stewardship of treasure. And I know this is everybody's favorite one, so that's why I save it till last. Uh, But when you think about the importance of stewardship and when we think about time and our talent, and now when we consider the the component of our own treasure, it is, it is a significant factor to not miss how God wants us to use, it, use the resources uh, that he has entrusted to us. If you would, take your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to be there in various occasions. We'll flip to uh, some other passages as well. Uh, but it is important about how we think about money. Perhaps for a moment, let me just say this, perhaps if you're first this is a first-time visit to the chapel, and you're thinking, of course, the first time I come to the church, they want my money. Uh, rest assured, I haven't talked about this since last year. Uh, we only talk about this really on a very particular level once a year, and we're not talking about it, by the way, this morning, because we are in, as a church, some financial deficit. We are not, by God's grace, in a circumstance where God's people haven't been benevolent, where God's people haven't taken this serious. In fact, if you were here over the course of a year, you would hear uh, so little about this topic that, that you would wonder, where do I give? Because there is no formality to passing a plate. Instead, we use boxes that people on their own voluntary measure figure out when and what they should do. Through the course of the years of pastoring, oftentimes it has, you have heard it from, I've heard it from different people who have, who have, have been part of different churches to say, the, the church just wants people's money. But let me assure you, Christianity and what God desires from you has very, to, very little to do with your money and everything to do with your heart, except money tends to be a reflection of what happens to go on in your heart. And it happens to be a reflection of what goes on in my heart. So that where I say, what I say is valuable to me, I can often pick up my, my or I can look online and see my, where, where I've spent money and I say, well, that's where I put value in. There's something important about us thinking biblically and responsibly about how we, how we give to the Lord and to the church. It was when pastor at one particular time in a church, in a large church, uh, years and years ago in Texas, where a young man came to the pastor and told him how much he desired to commit and covenant to the Lord to make sure he was giving a tithe of his income every single year and that, that he would be faithful to it. And of course, uh, as the uh, illustration as the, as the story would go, uh, he was a young man. He didn't know what God would do and how God would supply. And uh, all of a sudden, he would write out a check at his time for $10 because God had given him $100. And all of a sudden, God had continued to bless him. And he made $1,000. And so he wrote a check for $100 or, you know, for $100. And then he made more. And pretty soon, He's writing out, he made his first million and he wrote a check out for $100,000. And you're thinking, okay, where is he going? 
He made $600,000, or I mean, he made, he made $6 million and wrote, and at that particular point, he found himself going, oh man, this is a little bit hard to write out a check for $600,000. God had clearly blessed. He had made a covenant. He thought to himself, I have got to get back with this pastor. I have got to get out of this covenant that I made years ago. It's killing me. And yet he didn't go to the same church, and yet the pastor had been, it was still alive, so he, he traveled to where he was, he set up an appointment with the pastor, and he told him this predicament, he said, I know we made this a long time ago, I've been faithful to it, but I mean, this is killing me now, $600,000. And so the pastor just quietly went and got on his knees in his office, and and the gentleman went over to him and he said, are you praying that I would, you, that you would pray that I'd get out of this covenant? He said, no, I'm praying that God would bring back down the amount of your income to a level in which you're comfortable giving. <laughs> the reality is I don't think that's what he wanted to hear. Have me make less. See, what the pastor was trying to explain was that he didn't want him to give out of some sense of reluctancy or a compulsion that his heart would be disposed to a cheerful giving, that when he gave, that it would, it would be given with cheerfulness and joy. That is the desire of God for his people. It has always been God's desire for his people all throughout every single age. And I, think, I do think that it, it begs the question in our own life to ask, how important is being a benevolent, giving, sacrificial person to our God? I think that is bound up in a text of scripture found in, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians. Let me see if I can, uh, I want to read it for you here. For, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty might we might become rich. Now, I, I say all that to say this. God desires and requires believers to give. He wants us to give with the right heart. He does require us. So if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I'm not gonna give. I'm gonna leave that to everybody else who seems to have greater means than I because God knows my predicament, therefore he will exempt me from being benevolent and exercising some sense of sacrifice and care for people in the midst of the sphere that he's put me in. You're wrong if you do that. But what he, what he does desire is he desires that when you give, and you should give, that you should do it from a heart attitude that is pleasing to God. Now, if, if you're thinking, well, I don't know if I can do that, you and I have to check our heart to say, why? If Christ was willing to, to come to become human like us, and though he was rich, he became poor on our behalfs, that we then can be those kind of benevolent people. Proverbial statement in Proverbs eleven twenty four says this statement, one freely gives and yet grows all the richer, and another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Wow, what a true statement. 
So many people through the years have said at various times to themselves or to, to a pastor or to someone when they were thinking about how to be a good steward of their, their finances and of their resources. And, and it is uncanny, I, I can tell you this, that no matter what stage of life that I've been in, having little or having more, that when I gave to the Lord in stewardship of what he has given to me, I have never suffered want of anything. I want things, yes, but they aren't things that I need to live. They're just desires that I have that would be nice on various occasions. And God is not against allowing us to experience things that we even enjoy. But I can tell you one thing from the earliest of ages when I was Uh, when I was taught this particular principle of giving to the church by my own father, from the moment that I got a job, the first question he asked me was, the first part of that, Josh, belongs to the Lord. It doesn't even belong to you. So which part do you believe belongs to the Lord in a way that would be giving out of cheerfulness and joy? From the earliest of ages, from 15 years on, that, that principle of giving and benevolence have been so marked on my life that over the years of pastoral ministry and stewardship series that every single January of my life for over 20 or for at least 15 or 15 to 20 years more on a formal level, I sit down and say, I've got to give more. I've got to do something more because of the way in which God has been so gracious to me and it recounts all the blessings and thanksgivings uh, and during January, that is my month of evaluation of what God is doing in my own heart and what my own giving so that it doesn't just come out of my mouth that I love the Lord, that it comes out in proof of the things that I own even down to how much I want to give on a monthly basis. That biblical principle of giving should not be something that escapes us because God desires and he requires his people to have that kind of benevolent spirit. But are you saying to yourself, you know what, I just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give in a way that is kind of minimal. I'm just gonna give in a way that just kind of, it doesn't, I can, I can hit submit online or I can put something in the offering box and I can walk away and, and relatively be untouched in my lifestyle. There's something wrong to some degree if we had that attitude where we're not trying to say this matters. There's, there's something really important because the way that we give is a reflection of of how we think about God and what he has done for us. Some people will say, well, I'm gonna expect others to give more than I do. Is that perhaps your heart attitude? Well, God's given this church a whole bunch of people who have better means and are well off, so that offsets me so that exempts me from doing even in small measure what God says I could do Can I tell you this? When you don't give, you lose a sense of evaluating the thankfulness of what God has given to you. The principle of first fruits in the Old Testament where you always gave God what came out first. The first of your grains, the first of your your spices, the first of your oils, 
All of that was, was holy. It was all given in a way to supply for God's economy, for the way that he designed his people to function. That is true in the Old Testament and that is true in the church in the New Testament as well. Do you give only when it's convenient? Oh, I got a bonus. I can finally give. I've been wanting to do that. It sounded like it would be really nice, but I've been just waiting for, I've been waiting to be blessed so then I could bless. I mean, let me just ask you for a moment when you think about your own personal wealth. We live in one of the most affluent cultures of the world. If you've traveled anywhere outside of the United States, what you quickly recognize is that we are one of the most wealthiest countries in the world. And in so many ways, we look at what we have, and I recognize there are people who have less, and there are people in different uh, economic situations, but by and large, we have more than most. And I think it really calls us to be responsible of people, who, how, of, of what our heart is doing, and, and why we do this thing called giving. See, giving was such an important facet uh, in our lives that even in the verses that we read in 1 Timothy 6, just notice this, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Please mark that, because what I'm saying today is you don't, you're not carrying sin around in your wallet. The issue is what your heart is doing in setting your affection on some earthly thing, on some level of money, where all of a sudden that so grips and grabs your heart that you believe that the only way to live a successful Christian life is to be wealthy. Oh, so many people who have fallen into the ditch of, of living a life where it is only geared on how much they can make and how much money they have, which means how much material possessions they can, they can, they can acquire over a period of time. How many hours of overtime that is taken? Many moms and dads because they just thought, if we just had a little more, if I could just provide a little bit of this, that they had forsaken for the pursuit of money and the love of money, which is why he says it's the root of all evil, their family, their marriages, their churches. And I would beg you this morning as you think about your own wealth, when you evaluate this between you and God, because that's where it needs to be evaluated, between you and God, based upon what he has done for you and what he has allowed you to have, that you're not just giving out of some convenience or compulsion or manipulation, as we will see, but that it marks your life as a Christian. It should mark my life as a Christian. Giving was, by the way, a very uh, a big distinctive within the Christian community. I want you to realize that. Acts chapter 2, at the very early stages of the church after Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 47, listen to what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all, believed, all who believed were gathered together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had any need. 
And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Please don't take money in this kind of way. Don't say, I'm going to give so that I can get to God. Money and so many televangelist perspectives. I grew up, grew up over a period of time watching various evangelistic efforts of people coming on the television and saying, if you just give X number of dollars a month, God will bless you. I don't know what God's going to do as far as blessing you or not, but I do know what he desires of you because the Bible gives us that perspective. He desires a benevolent heart. And so many have fallen prey to give so that they can get. Give so that they can get. Well, I'll be faithful to, to God, but I'm really looking for some return here, Lord. What if you gave and gave and gave and gave, and he gave you no and he didn't really follow suit with giving you the amount of financial resources, but he just gave you Christ. And a little bit where you could be benevolent with other people. Are you willing to do that? See, it was a mark, a distinctive of the Christian community uh, over the course of their life. In Old Testament, this idea of not stealing from God was given uh, in Malachi chapter 3. And, and the prophet Malachi says, he says, will you rob God? Yet you are robbing me, God says to the people. But you say, how have we robbed you? He says, in your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And the big deal about this was that it, it revealed something about their heart and their disposition and their worship with God. And that was the priority that God desired for them to have. And I would beg you again, based upon this principle, not only have it be a distinctive mark for the life in the chapel, but that we would not be people who would rob God. But remember, giving from the heart has always been God's desire. Exodus chapter 35 in the Old Testament, when he tells us about the, the congregation of Israel, in verse chapter 35, verses 4 and 5, uh, he makes this comment. It says, Moses spoke to all the congregation and the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. I, you know, what's interesting is that the people responded and can I just take a moment just to say, even as we've done this Stewardship Month for over the last year, and we emphasized this very same thing one year ago from, from today, that you as God's people have responded to God. And what you're going to see, even when you come to the annual meeting, is an expression of God's people desirous what appears to be this giving from the heart that God is using in such an incredible way to provide for the needs of so many people, you are gonna be amazed to see what God has done. Because when I saw it, I was just like, wow. Only God can grip the hearts of his people to do those kinds of things and even go to the depths of saying, I'm willing to take out my wallet and give of something that I could use on myself. And the body of the chapel here, you 
I can tell you, based upon what I'm seeing, it, there, there is a faithfulness to God in this calling, both in the desire and it seems to be of their, their response to a, a requirement that God desires to, to, for us to exercise that benevolent spirit. You could even read the rest of Exodus 35 and you can notice how the people gave and they gave and they gave and they gave. And, you know, and, and all of a sudden Moses was like, I don't think we need any more. I've never been in a church that's like that and I'm not saying that. But is there really, could we get to a point? Israel did. Like we got it. Their hearts were so desirous to, to do this, to follow God's calling that they gave and they gave and they gave. That should be our desire, not to give up and come to a point where we're just saying, you know, like, I don't need to give anymore. Because I don't know about you, for, for all of my life and existence as a Christian, this, this idea of giving, and every year I come around to this time of year and I just think, wow, like, Lord, you provided everything that I needed and I was still able to give you more. And then when I come around to it again, it's like, okay, well, let's test this theory again. How about a little more? And then the next year, it's like, well, I mean, he still did it again. Do you know, I have never run out of a point where God hasn't done something more than I thought he was gonna do. And it's remarkable. And I think you will experience the same thing. This distinctive mark of benevolence in the Christian community has always been part of the way God has, has called his people, whether it's Israel or the church, to live in community. This was marked on the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2 when he was talking about how he was meeting with, with James and Peter and John. And notice, I'm going to read you this verse in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Paul says this, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now catch this verse in verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. Paul was marked by an apostolic teaching that right after they gave him the right hand of fellowship, they would say to him, now, now, Paul, Barnabas, please don't forget to give to the poor, to give to the needy, to give in the right locations. And Paul was marked by that, and you can see it in Romans chapter 15, in verse number 28, because he's talking in the, in the book of Romans, and he says this in verse 25, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. And they were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. What he's trying to express is Paul had this spirit of benevolence and giving, I wonder if you would say about your own life that you would be marked by a person who just has this inner compulsion to give to people. Out of the abundance of what God has given to you when you see someone in need and you see someone who is hurting, where we, where we, we say, you know what, I've got something. I've got, I've got some money that you could use. I've got some things that I could provide for. Be those kind of people. Paul was marked by that. And the story in 1 Corinthians 16 is the outworking of Paul's desire 
to supply a greater need for the saints that were in Jerusalem. And if you understand anything about church history, the first church was filled and it, it, was, it was populated by a whole bunch of poor people. There were some people who had more. There were some people who had less. You see this in the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira come, and they want to sell property. Others are selling property. And yet, notice the heart's desire of some who gave like Barnabas. The first time you mention Barnabas is mentioned in the Bible, Barnabas is giving and selling of his goods and giving it to people. And then afterward, you have Ananias and Sapphira to juxtapose this reality. There are those who gave and sold with the right heart, and there were those who gave and sold Unan. It appeared that they were doing it with the right heart. And we know what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, and uh, I don't want those kind of things to happen. Now, by God's grace, I've never had to see any of that happen, and God doesn't seem to do that because for his church, he was impressing upon them. God sees the heart of the giver, and God sees my heart when I give. He sees if all of a sudden I'm having to make a, in my mind and wrestle with like, well, but I could, I could pay off this, or I could do this, or I really want this, and what if I just held off a little bit of my tithe because I could get this? It's not like I don't always give. I mean, I always give. So it's like, would he miss a little bit? I cannot fall prey to wanting what I want and loving what I love to such a degree where I will choose to take what belongs to God and put it for my own purposes and pleasures. doesn't mean that that you can't enjoy things, but determine what it is that is owed to the Lord. This morning I want to talk about, as we go through, we're going to go through these rather quickly. And I know I've said that before, so I'll try to work real hard at it. <laughs> Principles of giving. You notice in 1 Corinthians 16 this desire to fulfill this benevolent spirit and attitude to the poor of the saints in Jerusalem. And as Paul traveled around to various uh, ministries and he was planting churches and he was in Macedonia and he was in Achaia and all of these areas, Macedon, and, and the Philippians were part of this and, and a number of other churches and they had given in such a way that it marked them as a Christian community. And Paul says, we've heard of your, your faith. We've, well, they've heard it. It was exercise in how they gave and how they lived out their Christian life. Giving was a part of that. And he desires for the church at Corinth to contribute in that same way because he's going to travel to Jerusalem and he's going to give this offering to the saints so that they could be taken care of even from the Gentile churches. Now, if you know what's going on in the book of Acts, where you have a lot of Judaizers and Pharisees who are saying, we don't want the Gentiles in the church, how impactful would this have been to the Jerusalem church who was predominantly Jewish? Who they would say, where did this money come from? And Paul would say, of all the Gentile churches who had taken up an offering for you because they love their saints who are in Jerusalem, and they want to care for your needs. They believe they owe it to you. That was the desire that Paul had given in 1 Corinthians 16. Notice this text, 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up that he may prosper so that there will be no collection when I come. 
And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And it seem, if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. He desires the church at Corinth to do what the churches in Galatia are doing, to do what the churches in Macedonia were doing. And it was equivalent and consistent with all the giving that preceded and the way that God had called people to give with a sacrificial heart from Old Testament and onward. And now that giving was happening with the church. I'm gonna give you six principles. The first one is before you. One, there's some sense of regularity. Would you mark this in your Bible? Now concerning the collection of the saints as I directed the churches on the first day of the week. Okay, there was a shift in, the, in, in when they worship, do you notice that when you get to the Bible and he says, on the first day of the week for the Christian church is Sunday, it's no longer Sabbath. They would formally come and give their offerings at the temple. There were these uh, trumpet-shaped giving boxes that you would see if you read the Gospels where the widow would come and deposit her widow's mite. They would drop these in and that would supply the needs of the Levites and supply various needs of, of the, the way that God organized that structure. And now he's saying to the church, and the church has marked it, why by the first day of the week, which means when they were in their week and they came on Sunday, part of the expectation was when you come, be thinking to yourself, how can I give? This is where often the idea of passing a plate and the, and the Old Testament example of tithe came into play. Is there, somebody would always ask me at some point in pastoral ministry, am I required a tithe? Well, if you go back and measure all the things that God called the Old Testament people, if you want to use that as a marker, it's going to be like 23%. And when I said 23%, they were like, how about a tithe? How about a tenth? It's not so much about a tenth or whether it's 23%. It's about what is going on in your heart. And what you see in the Old Testament economy was a free will gift offering. And those offerings that would be poured out to the Lord were sacrificial and giving and benevolent because it came from a heart that said, I just want to give to my God with the right spirit. There were certain things of commands. There were certain things of free will things in the New Testament you don't hear the tithe, you hear give sacrificially. Which means on the first day of the week, there was a sense of regularity, and he says to them, each of you should put something aside and store it up. Which means that they had to go through their life to some degree and say, okay, I, got, I have this, this is what God provides. I need to take a little bit of that and I need to set it aside. And I have to be disciplined enough to say, that belongs to God, I'm not gonna touch that. I mean, when that first day comes, I'm going to go and I'm going to give it to the saints who are in need and to supply all the ways in which the church functions. God has always done that. There's a sense of regularity. And I would ask you in your own life, it doesn't mean that every single week you're saying, well, I don't get paid every week. Okay, I get it. We're not going to go there. What we're saying is, is between your giving and life before God, is there a sense of regularity enough where you could say, it's consistent for me. I'm found regularly giving to, to God's work and regularly giving to the sacrifice and benevolence of God's mission. This is critical for us. And this is often why people stay away from this topic. 
and why pastors never discuss it. Because of various components of fear of what is somebody going to think if they visit that Sunday? And I do remember, uh, I had, an, and you wonder why. Why do I speak to the first-time visitors who you're hearing this for the first time? Because I remember the moment that I had a first-time visitor, and I started talking about money, and I, and I just visibly from the pulpit saw and an angry face. Like, I don't think they're going to be back. We cannot, that cannot be the heart disposition of the community of faith of God's church. It shouldn't be strange that God wants to reach into our resources and say, I gave you that. It shouldn't be strange for us to talk about how are we gonna supply for the wonderful things God has allowed. Look at where you're sitting and look at where we get to worship and look where we get to have Sunday school class and look at the opportunity we have to be able to have for our children and the ministries that are going on. We are trying to reach into the community with the resources God has given us to steward so that, so that we can reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and we can send missionaries out on the mission field. All of these things come because there is a sense of regularity. Could you imagine how the church or any missional function could exist if all of a sudden every, there was no regularity to it? Okay, how are we gonna do that? How would you like it if your employer said, I'm gonna pay you irregularly? Like, I'm just, one time it's going to be a week, and sometime it's going to be a month, and sometimes it's going to be six months, but I'll pay you. But I'm just going to make it irregular. So you'll never be able to plan, you'll never be able to have mission, you'll never be able to, to figure out who needs what, because you won't know when you're going to get it in order to supply it. The regularity in the church was a desirous component to fulfill the needs of the community on a large-scale level. And that is still the desire and is the desire for the chapel, not to just say, look what we have, but to say, what can we do with what God has provided to do more ministry, more gospel outreach, more sending of missionaries, more provision to various things that will, that will give the gospel on every level so that our hearts are shown to be benevolent. Be regular. But don't just stop there. Be thoughtful about it. Do you notice in it, in this, in this text, in verse number two, he says, put something aside and store it up as, as you may prosper. He says, do that in a way that is pleasing to God. Put something aside. You have to actually determine what can you do responsibly. God isn't telling you, and please hear me say this, he's not telling you to give every last bit of your money to God. He's not saying that. He's just telling you, to. can you thoughtfully put something? Can you set aside something in a thoughtful manner so that when you give to God, it would not just be this idea where we're just saying, oh, hey, I got 10 bucks in my wallet. I just happen to have $10 cash, so you know they passed the plate and I threw it in. Or I walked by the thing and there's really no thought to it. It's just like, well, I should probably give something. This is why stewardship of treasure is really important. It's important to the Lord. It's important in my own life as I look to say, you know what? I am going to consistently and regularly and thoughtfully determine how I can, I can respond to God's benevolence of grace and salvation in my life in a tangible way to support the church and to support ministries and support various things that God is doing 
in and through our church and community and other organizations. Be thoughtful about it. That's what Paul is calling these Corinthian believers was to be thoughtful. You notice it doesn't come with a chastisement to say, okay, we're gonna all line up and if I don't see you put something in the plate, uh, you know, you're disciplined out of the church. As far as my knowledge, I've never heard of somebody being disciplined out because they don't give. Because often nobody knows. And there's a reason for that, by the way. I don't know what you do, but you need to be in tune that God knows what you do. And I need to be in tune that God knows what I do. And I need to be responsible and thoughtful to him as a result of that. He tells us that same dynamic when we even get to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, and we'll touch on a couple of these when we think about it in verses 1 to 4. Uh, I mean, when he says, this is the point. Whoever sows sparingly, verse number 6, will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. You decide. This isn't, please don't hear, well, pastor just laid down the gauntlet and threw out a percentage. No, God said you decide. You decide in your heart what you can give in a way that is pleasing from the Lord because you love him. That's the goal. Have that thoughtful, heart-centered disposition to when you give. And then he and then he extends this reality. It's regular, it's thoughtful, but be joyful about it. I mean, have you ever met somebody on Sunday where you said like, so how are you doing this morning? They're like, I am jazzed up to give. Point me in the direction of the giving box. I am coming for the box. You don't see that, do you? Well, it's because often we have to be careful so that we're not flaunting, saying, here, I'm going to do this. But quietly, between you and God, can you not be saying and be excited and be joyful in the deepest parts of your heart to say, God, you have so blessed me. We're not asking anybody to, 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 to jump up and down. And I mean, Jesus you know, ridiculed the Pharisees and pointed out to his own disciples, look at this man who's saying, look how I pray and look how I give and look what I do. And he says, but you notice this poor widow who has nothing of what they have and she has given this small widow's might and she has given far more with her heart's disposition than any of these affluent, wealthy Pharisees could ever give. So don't believe to yourself that all of a sudden that your heart attitude doesn't matter before God. And maybe you don't have as much as maybe God has blessed with someone else, but you can have a determined disposition of joy. You know what, frankly, the more and more I've done this through the years, uh, I am just so thankful more and more that my heart my heart's attitude that when now, of course, it used to be writing checks and now I don't write checks anymore. And so that's a problem. I couldn't just bring it and, and, and put it in there. So when I have to say to people now, when I click submit, which I do, and it gets sent, I can say a quiet prayer and say, Lord, between me and you, I just can't believe how kind you are to me. 
And I pray that this will be a blessing and a help for the ministries that you have called this particular church to do, to provide for gospel-centered ministry, missions, and a whole host of potential other ministries that could grow out of resources that have been given with the right heart attitude to God. There is a regular, thoughtful, joyful disposition that you and I must have. But please, can you do this for me and for the Lord primarily? If you don't want to give with joy, keep your money. Because God doesn't need your money. He just wants your heart. Now address your heart and deal with what he requires, sure. But don't come on any given Sunday and be reluctant and be compelled and, felt man- and feel manipulated on some level. Keep it. If you choose, you've got to determine that between you and God. But I would beg you to keep searching your heart to develop that kind of benevolent spirit that God calls his communities to have in their life. Which means you got to be joyful. God, notice this in, in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. God loves a cheerful giver. The root of money, uh, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. However, on the other side of it is God loves a cheerful giver. Careful of the temptation to be rooted in that. And your motivation for living to be about money. Let your motivation be God, I want to be a cheerful giver and I love you. And so whether you're young or old or it's your first job, when you look at that check, can I just encourage you to say, young person, middle age, older people, whatever that happens to be, look at that check, get that check and say, God, pray and thank him for what he's done for you. And then determine what you can do to, to giving to the Lord out of, out of what he has given to you with joy in your heart. Be joyful. Be proportionate, okay? Uh, and, and we mentioned this when it comes to the idea of being thoughtful. But, but didn't you notice this when he said, he, he says in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, make sure that you determine in your heart. And then in, in 2 Corinthians 8, he says, he says a very similar thing in verse number three, for they gave according to their means, You know what that means? God is different different means to different people. God is not asking me to give as if I had $6 million. Now, don't get me wrong. I wish I had $6 million. Okay? That would be great. But I'm convinced that perhaps he's likely not going to give it to me because he knows something perhaps more than I do about me, and perhaps maybe, even though unknowingly to my own heart, that it would, it would all of a sudden trap me to loving money. I would rather have less money and not, and not develop a love of money than to have money. But there are those, by God's grace, who God has given the heart and mind to wield resources in a way that they are still so benevolent and their heart is not fixated on what they own. And that was true of the New Testament. People allowing people to meet in their homes. If, if God gives you 
a, a, a whole bunch of means, fantastic. If God gives you some level of means, fantastic. If he gives you just a little means and you're thinking, I'm just making it, fantastic. Do something. God is always going to do that, but you can't let wealth determine how you view people. Because if you do that, you'll be, in James, you'll be in James' situation. The wealthy man comes in, and you walk him down front, and maybe you, in the sense of James' imagery, it's like, now where's some one of these poor people that can be his footstool? <laughs> no, we can't have that kind of heart attitude. It doesn't matter. The wealth of a person doesn't, doesn't define who they are. But our wealth and how we give does reveal something about our heart, and it should be proportionate, which means take a look at what God has given to you and the means that God has given to you and just ask, can I do something? And what is that something that I can do with a cheerful, benevolent spirit that is an offering that goes up to the Lord as a fragrant aroma? It doesn't matter if that's $5 or that's more, whatever means that you believe you can give with the right spirit, then do that in worship to the Lord. Because giving, by the way, is worship. It's a worship. This is what free will offerings were in the Old Testament, and giving has always retained that same kind of mentality in the New as well. So be that way. Acts chapter 11, verse 29, is another cross-reference that you could give when, he, when, when, is, when it's said here, when Luke says this, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Determine what God is doing. I want to reinforce to you, this is something you decide. It's proportionate to what God has given to you. Then be mindful of that God is not telling you to give every last cent. He's asking you to set aside something. And that something has to be given with a cheerful spirit as well. Number five, do it voluntarily. Don't go away this morning and thinking, oh man, like, it was like he's guilt tripping us to give. You know, there's a real problem if the Christian community has to be guilt tripped into giving. And there's a real problem with the pastor who tries to guilt trip his body into giving. And you know, what we're, what we're trying to say here at the chapel is that giving ought to be a regular distinctive of our Christian community. It should be a regular distinctive of a Christian's life, period. And it's so valuable for us because, because what it does is it causes us to reflect on what God has so graciously given to us in whatever means that he has determined in his own heart that, that we can handle. But do it voluntarily. You're not, we're, we don't have uh, our security team say, did you give, did you give, did you give? Step over here. No. This is between you and God. So when you fill out your stewardship card and you're thinking about your stewardship of your treasure, guess what, whatever you say, I'm gonna grow in this way, and you say, you know what, I'm gonna see and test how God is gonna do that. I've been doing that for years, and I'm, I'm just astounded. But do something that would look like saying, God, I wanna develop this spirit of grace giving that is prized to the Lord. Do it voluntarily. They gave according to their means. And you know what else they were? Lastly, they were an example. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 24, Paul says this to the Corinthians, so give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about you to these men. 
When all these churches gave in such a way, they became an example to other Christian communities as to what that would look like. I love being able to say to people, you know what? We don't have to talk about money every Sunday. We don't have to talk about money every month. But we do remind ourselves at least on one occasion a year to say, are we being responsible with the resources that God has given to us? And I think that's healthy for us. It's healthy for me. It's healthy for you. It's healthy for our, our, our response before God to say, you know what? Let's be a church that is an example of what giving should look like. Let's be mindful that as we give, let's teach our, our sons and daughters when they go out and they get a job, let that not escape the conversation that you say, mom and dad, what, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna give? Can you give with the right heart? Are you determining that? I don't get to determine that for you. I don't sit down with my kids in their paycheck and say, well, that doesn't seem like enough. <laughs> That's after I charge them rent, because I take that first off. <laughs> but then I tell them. <laughs> I say, what is your heart doing? What is your heart looking to give? And is it a display between you and God of your affection and love for how he sacrificed and, and he who, be, who was rich became poor? Can you do that? Be an example in your giving to your family, to your friends. Let it be evidenced when we come to places, when we come to meetings like our annual meeting, like I know it will be tonight. That God's people are some of the single most benevolent people I have ever met in my entirety of my life. And if you look at all the Christian nonprofits that are produced out of the Western culture because Christians throughout centuries have felt the need to be so benevolent that one organization after another would start to try to bring gospel ministries and the gospel message primarily to the lives of people. Don't forget this. Because as we conclude, you, you have to think about this verse. Because Paul says this to the Corinthians, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Take that to heart. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly under, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And you know what? Come tonight and be encouraged about the benevolent spirit of the people of God at this place, the members of this church and so many others who are giving so that people's needs and ministries can be taken care of. It's happening around you. We are doing together what not a single person in this congregation could do alone through resources that we have so desired in our heart to give and be a mindful steward. Make it a priority. And so often during the course of pastoral ministry, I have to develop a sense of priority for people. Well, where should I be giving? Well, you should give to church and church ministry because this is how God in this age has put together, he died for his church and the church is supposed to be the beacon of light in the community and ministries so that we can do more, more for the gospel, more for various things, start more ministries to reach more people with the truth and, and there's, no, there's, there's no shame in saying it takes resources to do it. It just does. It always has. But when we use them and steward them well, our goal and our prayer 
as elders and as a congregation is that God would use them for his glory. Be a giver to missions. Start with your church. Your churches, as, as do ours, Give towards mission, to the gospel efforts, to the world. He calls us to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And we as a church desire to be a conduit from which resources flow to get gospel-centered ministry and churches planted all around the world. And I would always tell missionaries as they came, because they're always, of course, sheepish, like, oh, I don't want to ask for money. They hate it. Christian people, do you notice, especially missionaries, like they don't want to ask for money. They have to ask for money. We can make it easy because we want to get money. No, ask. That's what I tell them. Tell us, get it out. We want to know because God wants us to be responsible with how we do this. Give to your church. Give to missions. Give, to sa- give by sacrifice on things like our benevolence. And I'll tell you what. Come tonight and be astounded on what God did in our benevolence fund. Because we have, what that tells me is we have needs to meet. And we have resources to help that God has supplied through the benevolent people here at the chapel. Give to other ministries and, and gospel-centered ministries at that particular point that you have even more and you say, I want to give to various components of Christian nonprofits. Do it. Use your resources to honor God. Start in that trajectory. Work your way down. Grow in your giving. But have a purposeful, thoughtful, joyful, voluntary perspective so that you are an example to others. And then when God sees your heart, he would say that is a sweet-smelling aroma before me as you pour out your, your, your sacrificial offering before the Lord in private, loving that God has so graced you with what he's given to you. Do you sow sparingly but want to reap bountifully? It doesn't work that way. Do you want to excel in giving? I'll tell you, for years, I just, I just keep trying. Just keep trying to excel in it. Is it hard for you to give up stuff of your own treasure, money? Find joy in it. Be a sacrificial, benevolent Christian who recognizes that though he was rich, he became poor on our behalf. And that we could be people who give with joy in our hearts and love. And I think we're gonna, you'll see our amazing Benevolent God always supplies for all of our needs and he'll supply for yours as well. If you're not doing anything, start somewhere. Do it out of joy. Desire to grow in, your, in, your, in the grace of giving. Let's pray. Father, Lord, even these are challenging texts where it calls us to give out of the means that you have given to us. And yet when our heart is in the right place, it doesn't have to be hard. Lord, it flows, we desire it to flow from a spirit that sees how much you've sacrificed and how benevolent you are with us so that we would have that same spirit that your son Jesus Christ had. Lord, help that. Lord, thank you for the resources you've given here. Lord, we do ask that you give the elders and this congregation wisdom always to steward the, the responsibility of, of, of the resources of, of the people that you have put to give joyfully in their heart. 
Lord, thank you for how you've provided for us, and we're just gonna rejoice over that even this evening. Lord, thank you for what you've done and how you care for us. In your name we pray, amen.